0: The Creek Church is a community of believers located in Fort Worth, Texas. If you would like more information about The Creek Church, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. Well, good morning. How are we doing? Good. It's glad. I'm glad to see you. Man, it's weird watching seniors graduate and everything because I've known these kids for a long time. I mean, we launched the church seven years ago. So I feel like some of my babies are growing up, um, but it just happens. Uh, But life life is full of great things. This morning, we celebrated one of the the teachers in our community, in our Creek community, um, retired Friday after 44 years of service in the classroom, and just an incredible investment. So teachers, administrators, educators, we love you. We're grateful for you, and we thank you um, for the work that you pour into our students. Um, And then... I know my mom and dad are on campus. I don't know if they're in this service. Um, there's my dad back there. I want to congratulate my mother and father. 50 years of marriage yesterday. Um, and, uh, I'm honored and blessed to have amazing parents and, and to see that investment in their marriage. And, and I remember throwing a party at their 25th anniversary thinking, man, that seems so long. And I'm almost at 25. And I realized they weren't old then. You know, because I'm not, so uh, if that's the case, it's got to be, but um, we're having a marriage conference on Friday and Saturday night, and uh, we hope to be able to give you some spiritual equipping and some tools for you to make it to 50 um, and beyond, and so uh, this Friday night, if you haven't signed up, get signed up. Uh, You don't want to miss it. There's going to be some incredible things going on, and... And I'm just excited about this season in the, in the life of the creek. Uh, we're starting a new series today called Transitions, and, and we find ourselves in these transitions. And one of the things we like to do at the creek is teach verse by verse through the Bible. Um, it does a couple things, it keeps us accountable to the context. Meaning if there's a tough passage, if it's difficult, um, we're not going to skip over it. Um, we're going to preach it because that's what we're called to do. And, and uh, so that makes it harder for me sometimes, but it also makes it easier for me sometimes because my responsibility is just teach the truth. Um, you're accountable for what you do with it after you hear it. And so if you've got your Bibles, go to Luke chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, we keep some on the back tables for you. Um, or you can follow along on a smartphone Um this series, let me let me set this up a little bit to give you the, the, the idea and kind of the revelation behind this series. Um, we like to take books of the Bible and break them down into smaller series and, and kind of theme them out so we can track along with it. And, and this one, as I was praying about it, God just wouldn't let me leave something that I taught a couple weeks ago. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus is with, in the boat with Peter, and he tells Peter after he teaches to the crowd on the shore to row out a little bit farther and throw your nets in the deep water. And it's daytime. And the custom was to fish in the shallow water at night. And God just kept bringing me back to this scene over and over. And there's two statements that that the Holy Spirit just would not let me get away from. When Jesus said that to Peter, the first thing Peter said to Jesus is, Master, we've worked all night and caught nothing. Then there's a space. And the next statement, Peter says, but at your word, I will do what you say. And the Holy Spirit kept bringing me back to say, you're in that gap. You're in that that, that space in between those sentences. And that's where we find our life as Christ followers is in that gap, that that we've done things this way. There's a lot going on in Peter's mind as a fisherman. He's got to be thinking, okay, Jesus, I'm a fisherman. Just because I didn't catch anything last night doesn't mean that I'm unsuccessful at a fisherman. It doesn't mean that I haven't caught fish, and that's the way I've always done it. And so he's got to reconcile in his mind in in saying that to Jesus, and then the next statement, but at your word, I will do what you say. He's got to be willing to let go of an old way of doing things to embrace a new way of doing life. And, And we find ourselves in this balance, in this transition, um, because when we, when we put our faith in Christ, when we put our faith in Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, then, then 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that we're a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, the old is gone, the new is coming. So we live in this tension and this change constantly that we're letting go of the old things and trying to embrace the new creation that we are in Christ. And, and, and we're f- constantly moving in this change. And here's what I've learned about change. Change is a reality of life. It's a constant. And people say, well, people don't like change or people are scared of change. Let me tell you something that I've observed and witnessed and experienced as a human. I love, you love change when it benefits you. Amen. Right? So here's where we find ourselves. Life is all about change. Change. I mean, we just prayed for and celebrated the accomplishments and achievements of young men and women that are getting ready to experience a change. You get three months off, and then in the the fall, when you go to college, life changes. When you graduate, life changes. When you get married, life changes. When you have kids, life really changes. (laughs) And, and, And we find ourselves constantly moving in this change. The key is the transition. The key is letting go of the old and grabbing onto the new, but in the middle, we find ourselves trying to do this. And how we manage the transitions of our life determine how well we go into those changes. Because there's a lot of people that that go through change in their life, and the transition is what gets them. And God calls us into this transition. We're constantly transitioning from the old to the new. The Bible says that we move from glory to glory, so we're always moving and changing. God's calling us from somewhere to somewhere, from something to something, and we're, we're constantly living out this change. And, and God has a lot to say about this. Jesus has a lot to say about this because this change that we're called to is this change of an old way of life into a new godly character. And please don't understand it this way. Christianity is not behavioral modification. It's not coming into a room with a group of people and trying to to change my behavior to fit this group of people. We do that in all areas of our life, and it, it frustrates us to no end. Christianity... Is placing our faith, our trust, our hope, our mess, our chaos, our success, our good, our bad, our ugly into the hands of a Savior who gave his life on a cross for us and was resurrected on the third day. And when we place our life in him, there is a new life that we're called to. And what happens is it begins to change us from the inside out. It's a transformation that goes on. And we begin to live life differently. I think the saddest thing we can do is is confess that Jesus Christ is our Lord and our Savior and never change. But here's the beauty of it. I'm not here to, to push you in that change. Change happens at the speed of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't always happen at the speed of your spouse or your kids or your parents or your friends or whoever. Change happens at the speed of the Holy Spirit. And what he does in this transition as he moves into our life and he starts to lead us into holiness he starts to give us a desire for holiness and we begin to step away from that that old nature the old way of doing things so we walk in the fulfillment of a new life so our behavior changes as we press into god our life changes and reflects the transformation as we continue to press into God and let go of old things and then embrace the new things that God is teaching us, putting in front of us, modeling for us. And, and in this this passage that we're going to teach this morning, Jesus is, is going to teach through four blessings and four woes, and he's going to kind of counterbalance these things. And uh, he has some very specific things to say that I think, um, I think this teaching is a little difficult this morning. So um, uh, I, I've... This is the third of of four services, and I've already had the tendency, not me, but the Holy Spirit has stepped on some toes, um, but it's been good, so it's a good toe-tapping today, Um, but this is a tough message, and and that's just the way it is sometimes, Um, but Jesus begins his teaching in uh, Luke chapter 6. He's just come down from the mountaintop where he spent the night praying. Um, He's called his 12 apostles. And he has disciples. It's believed that there's over 120 disciples following Jesus. He's called 12 to be his apostles. He comes down and some scholars um, say that this is a... Uh, paralleled, shortened version of the Sermon on the Mount that you find in Matthew 5, 6, and 7? And some scholars argue no, because in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus is on a mountain. Here, um, Luke intentionally says he came down to a level place. And so while those scholars are going to argue about that, um, don't miss the point that Jesus is teaching us about some character traits that reflect a follower of Christ. I mean, we can get so bent up in Scripture going, well, I think this is right. I think this is right. And we can miss the point. The point is Jesus is teaching about these attitudes and the character that reflects a disciple, that reflects a follower. And in verse 20, he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, note, he's teaching his disciples. He's teaching people that have left everything to follow him. So he's he's really honing in. Now, multitudes of people are hearing. And that's the beauty about the creek as well, is that that we have people here every week that have not yet put their faith in Jesus, that you're exploring this, you're wrestling with this, going, what is this faith? Is this real? Um, Is this worth submitting my life to? And we have people that have been walking with Jesus for a long time. And and the word of God teaches to all of us. But the character and the development and the transformation that he's, he's pouring in are for people who have put their faith in him. And he's also calling those who have not to put their faith in him because this character is drawing people. This character draws us. He lifts up his eyes on his disciples and he said, blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Then he gives the balance of this, the counterbalance. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. So he's laying out this balance here. And and there's some things that that, that he's teaching with intentionality, that Jesus doesn't waste words. He's very intentional in how he teaches. And and these blessings and woes that he's creating this this balance that we find our life in, um, he's really trying to help the disciples unlearn some things so they can relearn some other things. For example, this word blessing. Blessing. When, the, when, when a, a follower of Jesus in, in this context would have been someone of Jewish descent, would have been in the nation of Israel. So when they hear the word blessing, there's an automatic thinking that, oh, he just said I'm blessed. That means that, that I'm going to be wealthy. That means my health is covered. That means all of my enemies are defeated. That means I don't have to worry about anything in life because, because if you're the Messiah and you just said I'm blessed and I'm good. And the theme song to our life becomes Zippity-Doo-Dah. I mean, we tend to think that. We associate blessing of God with everything's perfect. And he's trying to help the disciples unlearn some things. It's like this. We have people at the creek that have no church experience. And in some ways, you have a great benefit because you don't deal with what we call church baggage. I mean, I grew up in church, and I've had to unlearn some things in order to relearn some things. I've had to unlearn. Well, this is the way we used to do it growing up, but that's, that's not truth. That's not in the word of God. That's what we've kind of manufactured. And so when we think of this word blessing, it's just like in church the word harvest. You know, when you hear a pastor say we're in a season of harvest. And, and, and at the creek, uh, I really believe we're in a season of harvest. We're seeing salvations. Um, the, 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 the church is growing um, at an incredible rate. But when, when I say harvest, we tend to think, oh, man, God's doing all the work. And so we sit back and do nothing. And when we hear the word blessing, we think, oh, that's just God pouring out all this goodness on my life. But Jesus gives gives this balance. It says it's not that you're you're healthy and that you're going to be wealthy and that all your enemies are defeated. The reality is blessing can happen in the midst of suffering and hardship and brokenness. That there can still be a blessing that comes from God. And he's concerned with our character and how we view life and our circumstances. I've learned that in following Jesus that a blessed life doesn't come from getting or doing, it comes from being. That when I I find myself trying to earn the favor of God or, or work for a blessing, you know, I hear people say, well, you know, I'm working for this cuz I'm I'm going to be blessed. I'm doing this work for the Lord so I'll be a blessed, I will be blessed. And, and can I tell you that that's one of those things that we need to let go of? Because when we serve the Lord, when we work, when we volunteer, when we engage with the gospel and we hold on to that, what we're doing is we're doing that because that's who we are. The work of the gospel comes out of our being transformed by the gospel, not from getting a blessing. And Jesus is concerned about our character because character is vital. Our character builds our life. And and Jesus... Over the next few weeks, we're going to look at how this character of God um, frames our circumstances, how it frames our relationships with, with other people, with God and ourself. Today, Jesus is really focusing on circumstances, and he lays four of them out. The, you know, you're rich, poor or rich, hungry or well-fed. You're either weeping or laughing, or, or you find yourself, um, people either hate you or they all think you're great. And these are all circumstances in life that go much deeper than, than the surface of money, food, and relationship, and hardship. What Jesus is trying to teach us is that, that there's balance in this life and that, that we're called to live in a balance. And, and, and he's giving some kingdom principles that begin to shape our character. The first one, he, he says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Now, there's always somebody that's going to say, Well, money doesn't make you happy. To that, I would sp- respond, I would like to give it a shot. <laughs> you know, I'm just being honest. If I can't be honest in church, we got nothing, right? I mean, and then I start to justify it. Well, you know, I'm saved, and so I got the joy of the Lord. So you put money on top of that? That's a win win, right? I mean, it's amazing what we justify spiritually, right? But but we've got to understand this. Jesus isn't just getting to an issue of money. I mean, a lot of times we, we feel attacked based on what we're wrestling with the most. So when, when I talk about money, people who are, are most convicted about money, are like here we go, another money conversation. This isn't a money conversation. This is Jesus is really teaching us a balance of supply. You know, he, he says, Blessed are you who don't have anything because you will. Blessed are you who are poor because you have the greatest inheritance. It's the kingdom of God. See, in the context of this society, most of the people were poor. And, and they would look upon the rich with envy. And they would go, if I could just have what they had, then, then I would be happy. If I could just have what they had, then I would be satisfied. I would have it made. I'm so glad we don't deal with that today. I mean, we we look at. We, I mean, we can buy something new, and as soon as we buy it, we find this it doesn't satisfy us. I mean, I went, I, I, I think I've got the iPhone. What? What are they on now? Nine thousand. <laughs> but the nine thousand one's coming soon, and, and so we set our focus on something to think that's what it's going to be. And, and, and Jesus is, is really getting to this idea of who's your source, who's your supply. See, our tendency is to use our stuff to create comfort. Ultimately, what we're seeking is security. And we find our security in this. And Jesus is saying, if you if you are looking to your wealth, if you're looking to your possessions, if you're looking to your stuff that you've amassed to provide your security, you're going to be disappointed. Let me tell you what I've learned about money. It comes and it goes. Maybe we should have prayed for the parents up here of the graduating seniors (laughs) because you're just getting ready to let go of about 80 grand if you got college in your future. I put one through college. I got one halfway through it. Sometimes when I call my bank account, it just sounds like a vacuum cleaner. It's like, like, yep, dear Jesus, help me. you know. But money comes, money goes. And if we think that's where our security is, we're going to find ourselves lacking security. I mean, we we have people that that one medical condition has wiped out everything of their finances, and we start to get to this thing of where do we find our supply? Where do we find our source? And the interesting thing is, when we when we put that and and focus that on Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, we need to understand something: He owns everything anyway. (laughs) And yes, don't, please don't walk out of here going, well, Matt said to stop putting in our 401K and Matt said to don't go into savings and don't do this because that's all futile and our everything's in the kingdom of heaven. No, God calls you to have a brain and gives you intellect and says, use it. Save. We're, Jesus has a lot to say about money. He says, be a good manager of it. Let your money be blessed in how you recognize who it comes from. And how you put that money that has been given to you to work for the kingdom. Be a good manager of your money, but don't make that the ultimate. Don't make that your source. Don't think that you are your supply, because it will leave you short. And, and Jesus is not teaching here that that poverty is the virtue. What he's teaching us is that humility and brokenness of heart are what we need in order to have Christ-like character in our life. There was a young man in Matthew uh, chapter uh, 19. It's the rich young ruler. When he approaches Jesus and he he says, Master, what must I do to to have eternal life? He realizes there's something missing. There's there's this, this, what he has is not fulfilling him. And and so he goes to Jesus and says, what do I have to do to get eternal life? And, And Jesus Responds to him He says, well, you need to keep the commandments. Go back to the Ten Commandments. You know those. Follow those. And the young man says, I've done all of these since I was young, but I'm still missing something. I still lack something. There's still something that's not fulfilling me. There's still something that's not supplying that need that I have for eternity. And Jesus says, if you want to be perfect, if you want to be fulfilled, if you want to to be saved, Then there's one thing you lack. Go sell all of your possessions, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. Some people miss the come follow me. Some people just think, well, Jesus said to sell everything and give it to the poor. No, he invited him into a supply that was much bigger than his. It says that the man went away sad because he had great wealth. He had a lot of possessions. Can you imagine how that story might have been? Like if if he would have gone and sold his stuff and blessed everybody he could bless and then followed Jesus. If we like ran a video testimony of him, I mean I'm sure we would say, "Do you think that was worth it?" I've never heard anybody regret giving to God. And I've never heard anybody say that I can outgive God. He called he was calling this man to leave the security and comfort of his Supply into a supply that was greater than he'd ever known. It's not an issue of being broke. Jesus didn't want this man to be broke to follow him, but he needed him broken. He needed him humble. Because the only way that we can receive the grace that Jesus so freely gives is to humble ourselves and recognize that he is our supply. I, I, I've, I've learned that character is much more important than my possessions. And and then then he goes on when he says, he says, blessed are you who are hungry now for you shall be satisfied. But woe to you who are full now for you shall be hungry. This is a balance of fulfillment um, because we all have appetites. And and yesterday, I've got to say, I left the men's breakfast absolutely fulfilled. I mean, that food, (laughs) dude, I can go to preaching about that food. Ladies, when you had the tea a couple weeks ago, I saw the food, it was cute. I mean, it was cute. Men don't want cute food. I mean, when I came down that buffet and, and eggs, biscuits, like fluffy, I mean biscuits, real biscuits, gravy that you could lube an axle with, man. I'm just telling you. I mean, you could, I, I, I could feel years coming off of my life with every bite I took of that gravy. Bacon, smoked sausage, Man, it was holiness on a plate. I mean, I mean, it was beautiful. I left fulfilled. I mean, I left satisfied. I was like, yes and amen. Like, I love my church. I love that I got men that can throw down some victuals like that. I'm glad I'm not a woman and got the cute little tea cake and stuff. <laughs> give, me, give me the real food, man. I love being a man. But here's the thing. About 1.32 o'clock, I was hungry again. That just happens, you know? It's just life. I mean, we all have appetites, and, we, and Jesus is speaking more about food. He's not just talking about food. What he's talking about is the, the balance that we find in life of trying to fulfill an appetite. See, this, this transition of old to the new means we're constantly letting go of old appetites. You and I create health, appetites, healthy and unhealthy, and that's, that's based on what we feed and what we take in and what we think is going to fulfill us. And this transition is letting go of things that don't satisfy us and don't fulfill us to embrace the holy things that God puts in front of us that do bring satisfaction, that do bring ultimate and eternal fulfillment. Jesus said, told the woman at the well in John chapter four, he said, you're trying to get water out of this well, but you drink that, you're gonna be thirsty again. But I give you water that if you take this living water that comes from me, you'll never be thirsty again. Jesus declares that I am the bread of life. He is what satisfies. What, what he's teaching in these balance of woes, in this balance of fulfillment, is that if you're seeking to be satisfied in things of the world or things of your own appetite, it's going to leave you in a constant state of hunger that you'll receive a fulfillment that's only temporary. But if you're seeking me, in Matthew 5, he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, that if you're focused on my righteousness, if you're focused on me, if you're seeking me, if you're asking me to be your fulfillment, then the reality of life and the blessing that you will walk in is that I will constantly be your fulfillment. Because the people that are following Jesus, I mean, they're hand to mouth. They don't know when their next meal is going to come from. And he said, Look, you're, you're blessed because you're, you are seeking the only fulfillment that will satisfy you eternally. And Jesus knows we need food. I mean, in Matthew 6, he says, Your father knows you need these things. But don't worry about those. Seek first my righteousness. Seek first the righteousness of God. And what does he say? and all these things will be added unto you. It's a difference of letting go of appetite. See, it's, 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 this transition that you and I live in is the old and the new, is that there are things that I used to do that I still have an appetite for. That I'm called to release that appetite so that I can develop an appetite for the things of God. It's this, it's this struggle that's constantly between my flesh and the Spirit and whichever one I feed is the one that's going to win. And when I when I feed those appetites, when and, and it doesn't even have to be a sinful appetite. We all have to deal with sinful appetites, but it might just be an appetite that's neutral. That doesn't invoke any holiness, but it doesn't. It still doesn't fulfill me. But yet we find ourselves going back to that same well and just trying to draw water and draw water and draw water. And Jesus is just saying, if you would just Focus on me, that I will lead you in a fulfillment that you can never find yourself. Th- then this next one, this next one is where it gets tough, because he says, blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh, but woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. And I, I, I when I was praying about this, I, I feel like God said it's the balance of happiness, And we all have a desire to be happy. We all want to be happy. I mean, we put it into our kids. We tell our kids at a young age, I just want you to be happy. Do what makes you happy. And and, and I I have to preach to me in this, but I think sometimes that is the most dangerous thing we can say to our kids. Because it conditions in us that life should always be happy. And we begin to run from situations that are difficult because it doesn't make me happy. I've seen people leave incredible jobs and careers just for the simple fact of, I'm not happy. And I've only got so many years on this earth and I wanna be happy, so I'm gonna be happy. I've seen people walk away from years of commitment and covenant and marriage because you hit a season where it's not easy And I'm not happy, so I'm going to go find somebody else that's going to make me happy. Or we justify, I want you to be happy, so you go find somebody else. What that means is I'm unwilling to be truthful. And we put it on the other person. But this pursuit of happiness is a never-ending pursuit. The woe that Jesus declares in this, if that is your pursuit, then then you've already received your reward. And what you're seeking, you will never find. Sometimes um, sometimes we just have to man up. We have to woman up, roll up our sleeves, and just get in and do it. It's like the miners who are digging for the, the gold, and they give up 10 feet short of a supply of gold, and, and we walk away because we're not happy. I've got to tell you, there, um, there's a job that I've had in my life that I hated the most. I worked in a call center. If you've ever worked in a call center, you understand what I'm about to talk about, um, it, it, it's probably one of the levels of hell. Um, it, it, you know, I, I, uh, <laughs> I had what I called an umbilical cord and a headset, which is funny, I wear a headset now. <laughs> um, but for nine hours a day, I sat at a, a cubicle, and I took incoming calls for people to call and just, I'll be honest with you, complain about their phone bill for nine hours a day. I had two 15-minute breaks and a 30-minute lunch. It was mandatory overtime. I hated that job. When I drove to the call center, I remember just feelings, just this knot in my stomach, going, I hate this. I don't want to do this. And I would tell Heather, I'm not happy. I hate this. It's killing me. I can't do this. It's awful. Can I tell you something? At this time, we only had Laura, our our daughter, Laura, but I would look at my wife and I would look at my daughter and I would know I'm called to be a husband and a father and I got to put food on my little girl's table and a roof over our head and as much as I hate this job, I'm going to suck it up and do it. And it took some time. And I I began to pray about it. And God gave me a peace in that job. I don't know that he gave me joy. Um, If you've been in a call center, you understand. But I had a peace. And and I began to operate in that peace and go, God, you just give me a peace. And here's what I know. I I know that I'm doing my part as a husband and my part as a father. And, And you know what? I don't like this job at all. I hate this job. But I'm going to suck it up and do it. And it took a year and a half. And I was promoted. And then out of that call center, I was promoted to the world headquarters of this corporation. And I began to experience a blessing and a favor and moved into different jobs and had responsibilities and climbed a ladder very quickly and enjoyed a lot of success in a corporate career until God called me into ministry. And to this day, I still go back to some of the greatest lessons that I learned in my work ethic and how to manage. I go back to a place that was not happy. You and I are called to get in And pursue Jesus. And he's going to lead us through difficult times. He's going to lead us through difficult circumstances. He's going to lead us into things that don't make us happy. But here's what is a truth about the Holy Spirit. It's a fruit that he produces in our life that is peace and joy. That you and I can have joy in the midst of difficult circumstances and tragedy. Happiness is circumstantial. Happiness can change with a phone call. We're mourning with one of our Creek families this weekend. Because at 5 a.m. Friday morning, everything changed with a phone call. And she had to drive to Oklahoma to say goodbye to her granddaughter. When we chase happiness, it becomes a futile pursuit in our life that we will never find. Because once the circumstances change, and I'm no longer happy in this I have to change the circumstances. Jesus, in, in his the character that he's teaching in us and, and developing in us and desiring in us isn't a change in our circumstances, but a change in our relationship with God so we begin to see our circumstances the way he sees them. So we can see, even in the difficulty, God, I'm gonna persevere, and I know you're producing peace and patience in me, and that you're, there's a joy that is in the depth of my soul that even though this is difficult, there's still joy in the Lord, and you're guarding my heart. You're guarding my mind with your peace, and I'm going to push on because I know that the blessing is maybe 10 feet more in this coal mine, and we find the diamonds, and we find the gold. But even if I don't, God, you've called me here. You've placed me here, and I'm going to be faithful here, and I'm going to reflect your character in my life in everything I do to the glory of God. God, I've worked in this marriage, and it's difficult. God, I've worked at this job, and it's difficult. But at your word, I will do what you say. And then he goes on, and he says, says, Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and they revile you and spurn your name as evil on the account of the Son of Man, on the account of Jesus. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you when people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. This is the balance of acceptance. I first called this the balance of popularity, and God said, no, 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 not everybody wants to be popular. There are people who are not the type A personality, and you're introverted, and you're like, I don't even want to be noticed. But here's the truth. We all want to be accepted. We so desperately seek acceptance. We seek it in our family. We seek it in our workplace. We seek it in friendship circles. We seek it at church. And Jesus says, be careful in this. Be careful when everybody speaks well of you. Because if they speak well of you all the time to your face, you probably don't know what they're saying behind your back. That's humanity. But he says, blessed are you when people hate you because of my name. He was honest with us. He said, look, the world's going to hate you on my account. We live in America where we don't really experience persecution. The persecution we experience is when when we bring it on ourselves, when when we act like a jerk for the kingdom of God. But we also understand this that following Jesus isn't always the most popular thing. <coughs> that there are people that when they see you in this struggle, because I, I live in this struggle, you live in this struggle of letting go of the old life, those old appetites, the old source, and everything to embrace this new life that God has called us to. Um, people see us in that and they begin to go, You're a hypocrite. Why would I ever want anything to do with God? Because I see, I see you deal, dealing with this and I see you trying to be holy and we find ourselves in this transitional balance of life and people look at us and are judgmental and going, you're a hypocrite. No, I am just in this struggle where I'm trying to let go of old behaviors and let go of old appetites so that I can be fulfilled in the Lord, so that I can pursue his joy and pursue his character. And so when the world sees me, they see Jesus. But here's the reality. Even when we're working and walking forward in that transition and we start to look like Jesus and when people start treating us like they did Jesus, when you read the scripture, we can rejoice because... We're starting to think like him. We're starting to act like him. We're starting to respond like him. And the reality is people aren't going to like that. And we want to be accepted. And what we do is we'll begin to to reject some of the things of holiness so we go back into these old ways of life because this friend doesn't like me anymore. Can I tell you something about acceptance? Acceptance with other people is always conditional. Conditional. But in Christ, our acceptance and our love is unconditional. When he says, come as you are, he never calls us to clean up our mess. He doesn't say, hey, when you fully let go of the old way you do things, when you let go of the way you used to respond to people, when you let go of the language that you you easily can come up with, when you let go of the, the anger that so quickly pops up, when you let go of that, then I'll accept you and I'll take you in and make you holy. We've got to understand that we're called to live in a process of holiness and that Jesus accepts us in our mess. He accepts us in our chaos. He accepts us in our sin. He accepts us in our brokenness. He accepts us in our false senses of success. And he says, I'm willing to step in and lead you into a better life if you will just pursue me, follow me, focus on me. Let me develop my character in you. And what happens is instead of behavioral modification, we start to have character transformation. And it begins to affect how we live life and how we respond. See, there's something about character. Our life is built on our character. And character is built on the decisions we make. And the decisions we make are built on the beliefs that we hold. And we have to submit our beliefs to Jesus in faith. So then we work it backwards. We let Jesus give us the faith to believe and believe in holiness and to believe that we are a new creation, to believe that we walk in the new, to believe that we can, we can grow in righteousness and holiness. And that belief begins to affect our decisions and make decisions to walk in holiness and righteousness. And those decisions begin to build our character. And that character is is what we're called to be shaped and molded in the image of Jesus. So you and I have some some business to do with God. I've said this before and I will always say this, that this is a safe place and it's a place where it's okay to not be okay. But it's not okay to stay that way. God loves us too much to leave us in our mess. God loves us too much to leave us where he found us. And God's desire is for us to begin to release and embrace. Release the old, embrace the new. We're called into that constant walk. Release the old, embrace the new. That's why community, that's why relationships in church are so vital. Because I need help I need somebody to help me say, Matt, let go. Matt, embrace this. And I'm gonna pray for us, and our prayer team is gonna be on the sides and the front corners of this. And this might be a time for you to do some business with God, to let go of some things so you walk into some new things. Let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you that, that you love us so much, that you love us too much to leave us where you find us. Thank you for stepping into our brokenness. Thank you for stepping into our mess and our chaos. And God, even, even when we think we have made it ourselves, when we've placed ourselves as our hope, that we have supplied it ourselves and we are our own fulfillment and Our satisfaction is in ourselves. Thank you for stepping into that pride to save us. And I'm praying for for that person in this room that has never given their life to you. They've never experienced that transformation from the, the old to the new. They've never experienced a new creation that comes through the grace that you so freely give, Jesus. And I'm praying for humility in this moment to just call on you and to say, Jesus, I'm asking you, to make me new. I'm asking you to save me. I'm asking you to forgive me and redeem me. And God, we're asking you to help us to let go of our old attitudes, our old appetites, our old way of doing things. All of the things that we thought would fulfill us, God, that never do, but we turn our face to you, Jesus. We focus on you and we say, but at your word, Jesus, I will follow you. At your word, Jesus, I will do what you've called me to do. At your word, Jesus, I will live into this creation that you've saved me, transformed me for. And I will walk this out to grow stronger in you. We pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Creek Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us, please visit our website at thecreekfw.com.